Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. What is going on, y'all? I'm going to make this quick because, well, I am just behind. So it's going to be a short intro. For all of you who are thinking about starting a business, they don't tell you up front about how difficult it is as you grow to keep a system in place or to even get a system in place. So that's what I've been really working on. I'm a little bit behind, so I'm going to make this short. In this episode, I sit down with a licensed mental health counselor from Brooklyn by the name of Amy Akaba, and I just had a great conversation with her on boundaries, on self-care, on self-talk. It was just a nice casual conversation, which I guess almost every episode of Room 9 is a casual, relaxing, chilled-out conversation. But here it is. I hope you enjoy it. Look for all her links and info below. You can get in touch with her. You can get in touch with the uh, practice she works at and everything else. So enjoy it. And please, please, please get on over to the new and improved room9podcast.com. Scope out what's going on there. I am in the process. As always, I'm in the process of something, but I'm still in the process of the beginning, very beginning stages of this mental health channel that I want to create with just stories there just compiled stories of how people have struggled and how they have overcome something that they were struggling with and that's all so i'm gonna get out of here you listen to it check out amy's stuff in the bio or not bio what is this in the information the episode description check that out and i will be talking to you guys next week all right much love peace working well how are you yes it does i'm very lucky and happy that that went so smoothly i thought it <laughs> have been a little bit problematic the box disappeared for a second but we're up and running wonderful i am uh, doing pretty okay how are you very good very good i have i just hooked my uh my laptop up to this giant 4k television <laughs> And so I'm just getting some things set up here. So give me one sure. second. Making sure Absolutely. you're coming in good and recording. And Amy, remind me how to pronounce your last name. Is it Akaba? It is Akaba. Akaba. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Happy to jump in and, you know, chat about the stuff we planned for today. I did want to take a second to acknowledge that. The time that we're living through is quite interesting and there's many things we could be talking about. So, you know, I think it's important to just acknowledge all of the, you know, the systemic racism that we're seeing. I mean, it, that's been, that's nothing new, right? It's kind of no. built into all of the systems in this country and the police brutality is unfortunately also not new, but 
thanks to social media, I think we're just seeing it in a different lens. So to be able to have this conversation today feels like that's, you know, a part of the privilege that my mind can even be extended to to thinking about that and planning for this talk today. So I just wanted to take a second to kind of note that um, feels like that's important to put out there. No, it absolutely is. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy, crazy times where still in 20, what is it? 2020, right? I don't even know mm-hmm. what year it is. I'm, such a, <laughs> I'm a hot mess. Um, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. That people aren't getting treated the same and it, it's just, it's mind boggling. You know, everything is really, I feel essentially comes down to money, which is basically power and yeah, it's yeah. nuts. It's insane. And yeah, I, I grew up working in kitchens my whole life up until recently and you know I went to school where I was the only white kid on the basketball team so I've always had good friends close friends that were black and I've never really I've never seen it personally other than like on the internet and you you see it all over the place and when friends tell you something like this happened and yeah you don't even realize the the craziness of it yeah absolutely and you know I hope that our conversation today on boundaries and compassion and self-care and, you know, wherever the conversation winds up taking us, I hope that in addition to being a good conversation for you and I, I hope that it will be beneficial to the listeners and, you know, wherever it winds up, I hope that it will be useful for the person on the other end of the the app. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. I guess that's the whole point of why I do this. <laughs> so what's your, you're in, you're in New York City, correct? I am. I am in Brooklyn, New York. All right. Have you lived there? Were you born and raised there? I absolutely was. Yeah. Really? True, true Brooklynite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I can't even remember the last time I've been in New York City. I hate. I, I, I'm somebody who wants a house in the middle of nowhere, up on a mountain, <laughs> away from people. So I can appreciate big cities. I love taking my camera into big cities, but to like live there permanently, I don't know. I don't know if I could handle it. But I yeah, I, I get that the the setup that you're talking about sounds more and more appealing as I get older. <laughs> I mean, I do mm-hmm. I do love cities because I've fallen in love. Obviously, downtown Buffalo, New York is nothing. You could I wonder how many of those you could fit into New York City. But <laughs> so do you work for a private practice? You're a licensed yes. mental health counselor. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I work at Uh, Let's Talk Psychological Wellness. We are located in Chelsea in the city, although, of course, now we are all working remotely. It is, you know, a really wonderful practice run by our founder and director, Nathalie Caldera. Really honored to work for her. I feel very grateful to be a part of that practice. As I was preparing for this, there's so many things like when we talked on the phone from... Mm -hmm. The power of saying no, like you mentioned, yeah. self-care, you know, self-compassion, I guess it's the same thing. Uh, prioritizing and expressing your needs and wants, we talked about. Um, there's mm-hmm. so many other things. I was kind of I browsing know. your <laughs> LinkedIn page and seeing, you know, your most recent post a few hours ago about self-talk, which was mm. a huge part of my life while I was sitting in jail. And that's where I really changed that. I mean, there's so many different ways we could go with this. And I'm a big fan of letting the conversation be organic. but. <laughs> I mean, where where do you want to start off? Where do you want to take it? What are you most passionate about talking about? I have been thinking quite a bit about boundaries and, you know, what those are, what that means, what are the nuances of it, you know, and I 
talk about it a lot with clients, with friends, family, myself internally, you know? <laughs> so that, that feels like something that is important to me probably my whole life, but just didn't really have the language for it. So I, I think that's that's something that I feel pretty passionate about. And I know when you asked me that on our phone call for a second, I had no idea what I could answer <laughs> that I'm passionate about. But that seemed to be the first thing that sprung to mind, which is you know, obviously the most authentic response then. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I guess boundaries, that's kind of a very interesting thing, especially when I was in rehab. You know, that's obviously a big thing when it comes to having a loved one that is in recovery. But I mean, that's for any really goes for any relationship. You can apply those rules to anything. Sure. I, don't, I always had a tough time. I could, you know, in my early 20s, mid 20s, I can look back and see, I always had a tough time of, you know, feeling like, oh, I feel like an asshole if I say I don't do this or I don't want to go mm -hmm. this far. I mean, how much of that do you think plays into people not wanting to set boundaries? Uh, it's so hard. There's so much loaded in there, right? Where there's, you know, the the tendency to people please, to want to say yes, to want to, you know, have people like us and not be upset with us and unpacking that for whatever fears of rejection or criticism or abandonment might be there. We know how much trouble that can get us into sometimes, whether it's a boundary with work and, you know, work expectations, work hours, workload. Or, of course, you know, personally with friends, family, you know, showing up to all the things, doing all the things for everybody can be really taxing on us physically at times, but absolutely emotionally. It's hard. And sometimes I think about it and I talk about it. And then it sounds easy when we're saying <laughs> it, but putting it into practice tough. No, it is. It is very tough because I think we generally, I think most people, aren't always people pleasers, but mm -hmm. we always have that side of us anyway that wants to, we don't want to disappoint people, especially people that are close to us. And to kind of get to a point where you can, in a healthy way, say, no, I'm not doing that, or this is it, or and this is as far as I'll go, is I think it's a tough place to be at and it takes time to get there for sure. Absolutely. And a big part of even being able to set a boundary seems to be developing our language for it, right? Mm. Because very often we'll think in terms of black and white, just, you know, one of the many distorted ways we might think. So it's either, yes, I'm doing this right now in the way that you asked me or no. And no by itself can feel really harsh. So mm -hmm. I post a lot on LinkedIn, a lot of cute little images I wind up finding just like coincidentally or maybe not uh, stumbling across <laughs> about, you know, ways to say no, ways to set those boundaries that don't feel quite so harsh. Like, no, I'm not doing this, but playing with the language where it's like, okay, I can't get this done right now, or maybe next time. And really trying to cultivate a set of responses to be able to draw boundaries in a way that feels good for us, but still gets the point across. Yeah, you had that, I think it was like the bingo thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's different ways to say no. And yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was interesting because 
there are so many different ways other than just be like, no, yeah. no. But I think what you really kind of hit and I think the beginning of it is developing the language for it. And I remember I'm trying to remember what the guy's name was. I think he was like this strange, like ethnobotanist kind of guy. But he always said he said the world is made of language. And I remember thinking about that and I was like, wow, that's so bizarre because everything is what it is and separate from us because we have given it a name. It, mm -hmm. It's literally almost why it exists. We've seen something, said that's a tree. That's why we've all agreed to mm -hmm. call it that. But then you get into more abstract language and it becomes kind of difficult to communicate what yeah. you mean because so many other people can have different definitions for the same word. Oh, and so it, true. And how do you kind of so when if you're talking with somebody and sitting down with them and talking with boundaries, where do you where do you start? Where's the root of that begin with you as far as hmm. all right, how do we figure out what this word means or what these words mean so we can have a healthy boundary? Oh, absolutely. That is the root of so many miscommunications that we have in the world. Oh, it is. <laughs> Right, where it's like, oh, I said this, this is what it meant. And then the other person's like, oh, I thought it meant this. And this, you know, huge conflict was all for nothing, really. But <laughs> it it is important when I'm working with clients or even thinking about my own inner language or with friends to try to figure out what healthy looks like for that person individually, right? I can't say what is healthy for anybody other than myself. And so... I think the first step of that really is about mindfulness and awareness, trying to figure out what feels good, what are the needs there to be able to say, okay, this feels good for me. I can agree to do this. This in this way doesn't feel great for me. Now I got to, you know, lean into the language that I have for ways to say no. But if I don't know what my own needs are, how am I going to be able to draw those boundaries? Because ultimately I am the one that has to do it. I'm not in control of anybody else's behavior, but my own. So first we have to really be aware of what it is that we need, be aware of what is healthy for us and what feels good for us. And then, you know, we have to implement it and we have to sustain it. And it can get a little tricky between, well, this feels good for me, but maybe it's not healthy, right? Because not everything <laughs> that feels good is healthy. So is that's... <laughs> That's why it's important to do this with the therapist. Yeah, you know, I'm a little biased in thinking that <laughs> we need therapeutic support, but that's okay. It's important to have because we do need somebody there to reality check us a little bit and make sure we're not, you know, leaning into something that feels so comfortable, but is also maybe a little bit unhealthy. I think, you know, when you say we need a therapist and we need counseling, it's it's something that kind of dumped out in me as well throughout you know the last few years and looking at life and what's going on and how you can get yelled at for seeing a doctor for physiological reasons or for not seeing a doctor for physiological reasons and then if you say oh I'm gonna go see this therapist you have this it's still a damn stigma around it that yep. you're weak that you're soft yeah. that there's something wrong with you and. It's just, it's so bizarre to me how we put so much on the, the physical world. Yeah. And when it comes to the mental world that we're just always, nope, yep, you're weak. Don't show weakness. Still, still yeah. in 2020, we're still doing yeah. this. And it's dumbfounding to me. Yeah, absolutely. It has it has come a long way uh, over the past several years, which I am fortunate to see and to be a part of mm -hmm. that process. But it's got a long way to go. No, it does. 
It, it absolutely does. But when you're, all right, say you're in a relationship with somebody and mm-hmm. you want to kind of, all right, this is it. You know, I, wa- I want to draw the line here, I guess, mm-hmm. for example, whatever it is. Don't call me after this time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with something simple. Don't call yes. me after this time. Now, when you kind of develop a, a routine around that, or for lack of a better term anyway, when you want to start this boundary and you want to talk with this person, is it as simple as just, hey, let's sit down and chat? For most people, do you think that you run into or do people get crazy anxiety over stuff like that? Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of internal discomfort involved in setting a boundary. So it could go a couple different ways, right? If it's, if it's, let's say Sally, Mm -hmm. Sally is my friend that I'm talking to. And if we're thinking about Sally putting a boundary into place with somebody like you know, a friend not calling her after 10, odds are the situation has occurred. That's why we're chatting about it, right? But some things can play into what the conversation looks like in terms of does Sally expect for that friend to be receptive? Is that friend a safe space? Stuff like that can make the conversation a lot easier and Mm -hmm. less anxiety inducing. But because it's a new behavior, it's going to induce some anxiety, which, you know, we'll have to talk about and, you know, uh, plan for, which is very doable. Of course, there are other scenarios that are a lot more anxiety inducing. We might feel like there are higher stakes. For instance, if we're saying to our employer, hey, I'm not going to be reachable after five or six when our work day ends, right? That can be a bit more challenging, a bit more anxiety inducing. I think when I first start having these conversations with clients or, you know, when I first started having this conversation with myself (laughs) or others, it would be something that had to be thought about, talked about, planned, then implemented. However, as we practice that, like any skill, we will get better over time. It will induce less anxiety with, you know, certain people who we've identified as safer people to set the boundary with. And then we can do it in that moment right? Like if somebody calls after 11, we can maybe pick up and say, hey, moving forward, unless it's an emergency, reach out to me in the AM, you know, something like that. But at first, it takes some preparation, which (laughs) is, you know, it's reasonable to think that we would need to talk about it and plan Mm -hmm. for it, especially if that wasn't modeled for us at any point in our life, right? Like, how would we have the language for it? Otherwise, Mm -hmm. we're having to figure it out ourselves. Yeah. What do you think the, uh, the importance of in beginning of any relationship, just setting them immediately, as opposed to letting it go on and go on and go on and go on and then trying to stop it? Uh, It is, of course, much easier to do from the beginning. So like if I'm chatting with a client and they're changing jobs, it's that in between where we're talking about what are going to be those healthy boundaries and Mm -hmm. expectations to just start with right out of the jump. But of course, if we're not changing jobs or changing relationships, whether it's family, friends, partners, it can be a bit harder to act in a way that the other person is not expecting, right? The first time we say, no, I can't make this event, we can anticipate some surprise, maybe some questioning, some pushback. Mm -hmm. And of course, when 
that person would be preparing for that first boundary setting, all of this would be a part of that, right? Like you're going to want to expect that the other person is going to be surprised and maybe question you so you're not thrown off your game. And then that snowballs to, oh, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll be there. So sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I always, I mean, obviously that's always such a a more beneficial thing because I remember I didn't stick with it. I started doing some recovery coaching. I was going to actually originally have that be a part of my business, but there wasn't enough creativity involved in it for me. Mm. But I remember just, it's so much easier to you first sit down with somebody. Mm. Hey, all right, this is when my phone is going to be on. Here it is. You can call me nine to five, Monday through Friday. Weekends is kind of me. It's so much easier than, like you said, somebody you've been in a relationship with for years. And all of a sudden you're like, all right, now I'm going to throw these boundaries up on them. And <laughs> I'm sure that can kind of go back to that other post you had where it's like, you changed. You're changing. <laughs> oh, yeah. My little butterfly caterpillar. <laughs> Which, yeah, that that's kind of, that's another subject I would always enjoy going into because that is funny how those more unhealthy relationships, people try to hold each other back from changing and growing. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. it can be scary. I mean, I always tell people that's how my, my divorce pretty much will happen um, because I was that typical football player, watcher, Sundays, mm. beer, whatever, stereotypical male. And then <laughs> I, it was like almost the snap of my fingers. It was like, I mean, I think I went two years without ever watching TV and got wow. into reading and got into, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it was just, I mean, we just kind of, she she did not sign up for that. I'll leave it at that. She's like, no, I'm not. I don't want this guy talking about his feelings to me. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. Change is hard, of course, for the person doing it, right? That is a grueling process. But also for those around that are Mm -hmm. used to a certain set of behaviors and, you know, we develop expectations, we see the dynamics, we know, you know, what we can expect from another person at any given time. And, you know, I think most people find comfort in the stability and predictability of that. And so when the changes start happening, it's like, uh, what? What what is this right? Like I don't know what to expect now. Uh, the ground is shaky, so it can be it can be tough. And you know, sometimes the relationships can grow together and find ways to work. But you know, of course, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, it's always that uh, we love order, but in order mm. for change and great things to happen, we got to go through the chaos. And it's always that kind of it's it's scary in the chaos to say the least. Absolutely. No mud, no lotus. Yep. There you go. (laughs) So to kind of connect with boundaries, because obviously boundaries have a lot to do with self-care and Mm -hmm. taking care of yourself, because that's one of many ways you can take care of yourself is set healthy boundaries. So I'd like to kind of get into this whole self-talk thing as well, Mm. because this was really a key thing in my life that totally changed the way I look at the world. So, I mean, I was so, after my my divorce, which was, oh my gosh, what was that, seven years ago? Yeah, I just felt like a failure. I felt like, uh, you know, as a father, a husband, a son, a brother, just complete failure. And I just totally fell into this depression. And I actually ended up in a great relationship, which I still am. 
but it was mm. still like that whole anxiety and depression just yeah it, it was tough to get through and that's what really ultimately led to my addiction and then jail and all that other good mm-hmm. t- good stuff <laughs> but what I ended up doing I remember just sitting in jail in that moment and being like I could feel the guilt and the shame yeah. and that that trail of thoughts coming and I just stopped and I was like you got to st- figure out how to stop this because yeah. or else you're never gonna be able to change and stop doing what you're doing and so what I really ultimately what I ended up doing was just I would catch myself in negative thinking stop that and then go to positive thinking literally that's it it was just a you know I made it so it was a habit and that self-talk finally after a week of being in the negative thinking I'd get in the positive thinking and then eventually I could catch the negativity before it even started and all of a sudden oh well the whole paradigm shift and everything else but I guess to blab all that, why I'm saying is how important self-talk is, and people think it's such this such a difficult thing, but it really, I always like to say it's uh, simple but not easy. Yes, absolutely. It's you know you can have the information, but to implement it, especially in the moments when our emotions are running high, it's hard. That right, if we're feeling very intensely, if we're mm-hmm. really impacted by you know something that just occurred in that moment, or for those you know couple moments where the emotions are still very intense, it is hard to identify and challenge and reframe those thoughts, which are usually filled with shame. Mm-hmm. Right, just like to our core as a human being, not being worthy and lovable, just in every aspect of our life. So it is hard to do, and we can know it and we can try it, but it's not easy. And so, what you know, I think the more we learn about it, the more we learn about some of the distorted ways of thinking, the more we learn about our own core beliefs and what some of those tools can be. Because it's not just about, in my opinion, you know, seeing something and switching it to a positive thought. We also have to buy into it, right? Mm -hmm. It has to be believable for us to our core. There has to be an emotional impact. So, you know, if something happens and someone starts thinking, oh, this is terrible, everything's going to be awful, like nothing's ever going to be good again, that person might not be able to realistically challenge the thought with, no, everything's amazing. Everything's always going to be amazing. You're a rock star, right? Like that's a little bit too over the top, possibly, you know, for some people. And so it becomes about trying to, again, going back to the importance of language, finding the right language that is going to be reassuring and comforting and realistic objectively, right? Mm -hmm. It's, That's, I think, an important distinction, not this, you know, I see a lot of articles and posts on toxic positivity, where it's this, you know, push to be just like overly happy. And that's not really it. We want to be realistic, because in those moments, those generalizations, those catastrophic thoughts, all of that objectively is not realistic, right? Mm -hmm. It is fueled by the intense emotion that we're feeling completely understandable, right? Like we've all been there. We'll all be there again. It's the end of the world. <laughs> right, right, right. But if we can, you know, work on catching them, if we can work on reminding ourselves that, you know, these emotions are impermanent, they fluctuate, they come and go and developing a certain amount of insight into ourselves and understanding of the tools and the language 
we can work with it, right? Once our emotions settle from the 12 out of 10 to maybe the six <laughs> or seven. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's it's nuts how I, th- I think I find the more I go inward, the more I continue to work on myself. A, you, obviously you realize it's something you're going to be doing the rest of your life, which I think mm-hmm. ultimately makes it fun. I feel like if there was an end to it and we got there, we'd be like, well, <laughs> now what do we do? But, you know, I do I do realize why so many people don't enjoy doing it and most majority of people avoid it. And I think just because yeah. it is tough, it is really, really tough to go through, you know, your darkness, to go through your mm-hmm. pain, to go through your suffering, to go through everything that has happened to you, whether it was your fault or not, your mistakes yeah. or not. It's still like it's hell. I mean, you literally I feel like you go through hell. A clinical psychologist I like talks about. He says burning your dead wood off and it's literally like lighting a fire and letting that stuff burn. And it's just, you know, it's difficult. There's a you know an Eastern philosophical little quote I love. It says, if enlightenment was easy, everybody would tell their brother. <laughs> and, you know, just <laughs> something so simple, but it's like, yeah, if it was easy, we'd all be there. There wouldn't be yes. racism in the world. There wouldn't be, mm-hmm. you know, everybody is just repressing and projecting out into the world and we treat people like garbage. Yeah, so true. There's I'm a big fan of therapy memes. And there's one out there that, you know, I forget the exact wording, but essentially it is, you know, I have to be in therapy for all of the people that won't go to therapy around (laughs) me, which (laughs) to your point, right, it's it is part of the struggle of it is a lifelong process. And that can be an intimidating idea. And you know, Part of that might also be having to navigate the world with other people who are not working on themselves, mm-hmm. which is very fair. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of that going on, and I think that was you know that was a big challenge for me. Is all right, I can't get angry at the people who don't know or who don't go inward and who don't realize that they're projecting onto other people mm. and they're not focusing on themselves. And you know, you have to really just learn to let them be and still love them and still care for them. And, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to do. I think, I think it takes a lot of practice and, you know, I guess kind of keeping it back on the road of self care and all of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of the most important reasons of setting healthy boundaries is that I've found working with a lot of mental health treatment providers over the last two years, that compassion fatigue is such a real thing and sure. people can, can really get it. And, you obviously being a licensed mental health counselor, where do you set like your boundaries for, you know, whether it's just taking a break or doing you anyway? Yeah, absolutely. It is very important because, you know, and this is a conversation that I have not only with myself and my friends in the field, but my clients as well, where, you know, we can think, oh, I have to be productive. I have to work. I have to help. I have to do But if I'm running on E, I'm not effective for anybody anywhere, Mm -hmm. right? So it is really important that we do take care of ourselves. So I am fortunate enough to work at a great practice where I only work Monday through Thursday. So I get nice three-day weekends most weeks. Yeah, very nice. That's why Fridays are good for you. Exactly. There we go. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, that leaves me time to 
do errands and pre-pandemic socialize a little bit more or do activities or little trips and existing in the world, doing things that I find enjoyable. It's nice to have the extra day, but it also leaves me the possibility to schedule a client twice in that week if needed Mm. without it overrunning an already very full schedule, right? So my workload feels very manageable and I don't put myself in that place of, you know, wandering into burnout territory. So it is important to have, for me at least, it is important to have that schedule for work at Mm -hmm. a place where it feels very sustainable. And I am very fortunate because that is a luxury that not many people have. Yeah, that's great. Very aware. Yes. (laughs) So that's, that is really a huge part of self-care for me, that work schedule. And then prioritizing, again, what are healthy boundaries for me? What looks and feels good with social obligations and personal obligations and juggling all of that, which again, there's no much like the therapeutic process for the rest of our lives. It's not a box you check off, right? Mm -hmm. It's an everyday, every week assessment of what's going to feel good. What are the things that I need to do? What are the things that I would like to do? And trying to juggle everything. Yeah, I know. There's so much that goes into it. That's for sure. And yeah, that's awesome. You have the Fridays off. I think uh, a lot of people would kill for uh, to have a Friday off. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I said, I, I grew pretty much well until I got out of rehab. I was in kitchens my whole life and those were the crappiest hours. Ayo, speaking of boundaries, you, do not, you don't mm. call off sick in a kitchen. Uh. You don't. Yeah, you don't do any of that. You're not late. You're on time. You know, nothing, nothing. And they always say, call if you're sick, don't come in. You don't ever call off sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a really big struggle, though, for, you know, many people, many of my clients where the office or work culture and expectations do not facilitate mm-hmm. healthy boundaries nope. at all. And it it's really tough. You know, sometimes it's not possible to have that healthy separation and feel like your job is still safe, right? That that can be a real difficult situation to navigate. Yes, it can. I mean, and I also, again, working with treatment providers, uh, they are, which they should be, and they better be the best at doing that for their employees. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine a mental health treatment provider running their employees ragged, but they do. The majority of them, I, I find them, they're very good with their employees. And as you said, you can't be any help to anybody when you are on empty. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to, you're going to give people crappy advice. You're going to get sick of hearing about their problems. I mean, that list goes on of things that would you know, really kind of get in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. And, you know, it is not uncommon that some facilities might push the clinicians a bit more for maybe like financial means and things like that. But I'm very happy where I am that the director and founder is very thoughtful and compassionate and empathetic. And so I know one one of my clients quite a while ago had made a comment about how all of the clinicians that they might see when they're in the waiting area and people are just kind of going in and out of their offices, everybody seems pretty content. And that was a very bizarre thing to hear (laughs) because it's not, I mean, while true, it is not something that 
I had really heard or thought about in any of my prior places of employment where like, yeah, all the staff here seems really content and happy hmm. and peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's true where I'm at currently, which is amazing. No, that is. Yeah, because you don't. <laughs> so many people are working at places where they hate, they're miserable, mm -hmm. they feel trapped. Whether it's going back to this wonderful country, they're trapped for health insurance, they're trapped mm -hmm. for... I mean, so many different reasons can leave somebody trapped in a place where they hate, they're uncomfortable. And, you know, that's a tough decision to kind of yeah. decide to get up and leave, especially if you got family at home, you got bills to pay. Yeah. And, yep, that is that is intense. As far as kind of keeping it with the, the boundaries and the self-compassion, what, what would you say are the best kind of tips or ideas or suggestions for establishing the boundaries for self-care? And kind of, you know, what we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I see the connection with boundaries and self-care more so as a means of prevention almost, mm -hmm. right? Where if my boundaries are being, you know, kind of crossed and enmeshed and blurry, I'm probably going to wind up struggling internally, maybe feeling really anxious, sad, confused, etc. Then what that says is, you know, we want to spend some time thinking about them and what's healthy, what feels good, what feels right. We can think situation by situation where it's like, okay, I agreed to this event or this extra work meeting. How do I feel about that legitimately? Right. Mm -hmm. Does it feel like something I'm looking forward to? Am I dreading it? Did I really not want to RSVP yes to this, whatever this is? So I think the important first part is just taking a couple of minutes and turning inward, which can be scary and intimidating. But if, uh, if that is, you know, an interest that somebody has to work on figuring out what healthy boundaries will look like, that's a question they have to ask themselves and then really try to answer and taking it case by case can be useful or looking back on patterns of times when they've said yes mm. and haven't wanted to and why, what was that about? What was scary to say no? What was the expectation? And just trying to figure out a little bit of what that looks like, what underneath the surface there. And I think once we have a decent awareness of what feels good and what feels healthy without blurring into any unhealthy territory, got to put that out there. <laughs> once, <laughs> once we have that, then we can move forward being a little bit more aware as things come up. Are we agreeing? Are we not? Do we need to expand our vocabulary for saying no and try to have some phrases at the ready? Should we need? And, you know, I think once we have that awareness and those phrases, and we've worked through some of the fear, we're in pretty decent territory there. Again, the the aim is in the goal should never be perfection where, mm -hmm. you know, I feel no discomfort ever doing anything, but, you know, where I can be authentic and honest and set a boundary in an appropriate way if I need and not be riddled with apprehension leading up to it and dread and then anxiety lingering afterwards. The goal is oh. to just really try to cut that down. <laughs> oh, everything. It just is like a snowball effect at times. Yeah. It just keeps going and going and going. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. I mean, I often wonder sometimes how many people are just stay in the house, stay alone, isolate themselves just out of fear of having to set those boundaries or having yeah. somebody step into their you know, their unwanted zone. And uh, it's a tricky thing, life, isn't it? 
Oh, it really, <laughs> truly is not easy at all. It is, I mean, just from everything. I mean, I think we have a whole list here of things we could go on about that all kind sure. of, you know, I guess kind of relate in the sense of, you know, it's your individuality. It's you working on you. It's you mm-hmm. figuring out what comes over here, what comes over here. And I think one of the biggest things that we hit on was, you know, with as far as with the self-compassion is that is the one thing I was missing in my life for so long because, I mean, I was, again, like I, I shared with you, I went into this whole introspective mode where I stopped watching TV and I got into psychology and I'm reading young and I'm reading auto rank and <laughs> the list goes on of people and philosophy and I got into all that, but there was no self-compassion. There was no self-love, yeah. acceptance, forgiveness. And yeah. I remember thinking like, dude, this list of things I have to change in me. And I'm like, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> like, and I remember thinking that like, like, oh my gosh, every time you check one thing off, or you get a little work done on one thing, you find five more things you need to work oh, yeah. on. And I think it's so important to develop that self-acceptance. Like, all right, you're here and you were here yesterday. And I always tell people, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who somebody else is today. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important things that did for me was I got to see when I look back at me yesterday how far I've come, how much work I've actually done. I mean, I almost feel like we get so used to it. It's like the puppy you have that you have every day. And then your friend comes over a month later and is like, he got huge. And you're like, really? I didn't <laughs> notice it got big. So you are with yourself, obviously, every day yes. and you cannot see your growth. And I think it's super important to have that. All right. Where did I come from? How much have I done mm-hmm. instead of expecting perfection? Yeah, so true. And that's something that I am always very happy to point out to clients when, you know, they're maybe recounting a story or something that has happened, some experience, and they're talking about something that, you know, maybe we've already worked on and it went relatively well. Hmm. And really to highlight all of the parts that went into this, right? It's not just, oh yeah, like I set this boundary, that felt good. And, you know, sometimes (laughs) we have a tendency to minimize the things that we do good and overemphasize the shortcomings we think we have. So I like to take the time to really accentuate that kind of a success where talking about all the conversations we had very quickly and, you know, reminding them of all the work that they've put in and look at what a big deal this is, right? It's not just something to sweep under the rug. This is something to really acknowledge. And how were you able to do this? Look how easily it happened. Do you remember what this would have been like six months ago (laughs) or a year ago? It's important to have those discussions. No, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. I think it's necessary. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it is without it. I mean, you can't really grow to a, a yeah. place where you would like to be. Well, yeah. Amy, what are we coming up on? 45 minutes here? Oh, my yeah. gosh. This is the second <laughs> podcast I've did today. And really? Yeah. And ah. they just they just fly by. It's, it's unbelievable having these conversations. And I'm like, it's like a blink of the eyes. But yeah, I, you know, I sometimes end with this really cheesy question. <laughs> Okay. And I started, it started as like, all right, I was in my, the beginning of my podcasting where I would like just kind of learning the art of hosting, which is a never ending art to master. <laughs> but I always, I just like randomly blurted it out and I was laughing, I was editing it, but I got a great answer. So I kind of randomly asked it like, you have this, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes stage to talk to the world before it's over, before you're gone. 
and you never mm. come back again, you know, what, what would you say to those people who are listening? Wow. That is a tough question to answer. Um, <laughs> but again, my gut response, which is probably the most authentic answer would probably be along the lines of what we were talking about in terms of self-compassion and acceptance. If I could squeeze in something about boundary setting and pushing <laughs> awareness, I might try to get it in there if I talk really quickly. But I do think that the most important topic that I would want to address is that idea of being more compassionate, gentle towards ourselves, mm. forgiving, accepting, and not in a way that relinquishes us of accountability, but in a way that works to stop that inner critic and little voice in there that's really berating and mean to us. So I think that would have to be my focus. Yeah, I always, I always say um, the B word, balance we hmm. need we need the balance and ev everything it always comes back to that for me i always find humility you have to have yeah. you have to have humility but you also need confidence you got to find a balance in between i mean mm -hmm. the list goes on yeah you know everything that involves balance and mm -hmm. i think once you kind of master the art of that life's good you know you don't got to do anything else anymore just figure that out <laughs> so simple <laughs> that that easy look at that <laughs> amy so how do um people get a hold of you where you're working i don't know if you want to throw your company out there yeah um, the website. absolutely absolutely yeah so they can always look me up amy acaba that's a-c-a-b-a and the practice that I work at, you could check us out. We have a website, of course, talkingforwellness.com. And the name of the practice is Let's Talk Psychological Wellness. They can also call or text us at 917-283-0738. And I'm pretty sure we also have an email that's on the website as well, but okay. that's a little bit longer, so I won't recite that. <laughs> yeah, I'll throw it all down when I, when I put the, uh, the episode out there. Sweet. And all that. Well, thank you very, very much for uh, sitting down with me. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. I will obviously I'll send you an email um, with the links and whatever when this is going to come out. It'll probably be about two weeks. I think Sweet. I'm a, I think I'm two weeks ahead of the game. So <laughs> feels good. Very <laughs> nice. Congrats. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. All right. Thank you so much. You're awesome. And I will be in touch. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye.